0: Hi there, my name's Jane Anderson and this is the Jane Anderson Brand You Show. It's the podcast for experts who want to have greater impact, influence and income for their businesses and careers. As experts, we know that people buy from people and work with people who they know, who they like and who they trust. So I'm so glad you're here because it's that time again now to really amplify how you show up in the world. Hi there and welcome to the Jane Anderson show. I am so thrilled that you are here and joining us for the podcast today. This podcast is particularly for women who have consulting practices and are selling B2B, so we're typically working with large organizations and looking to build a practice that provides them lots of fun, fulfillment in their work they should do in the work that they love to do and freedom freedom of lifestyle freedom of choice freedom of the type of people they work with and freedom of how they deliver their work and where they deliver it doing the work that they love I'm super excited to share our special guest today our guest today is a trainer, coach, mediator, speaker, and author specializing in resilience and empowerment. She is the author of a book called Unshakable at Work, a book that shows you how to stop taking things personally and start building resilience. She's a thought leader in the areas of resilience, building and individual empowerment at work and helps people move from a place of anger and frustration to strength, control, authority and confidence. Her programs empower employees and her specialty is helping people develop mental toughness so they can excel in the pressures at work. She believes in developing an unshakable workplace culture and is critical to improving everyone's well-being and quality of life. Please welcome Sue Anderson. All right, Sue, thank you so much for being part of the show today. We really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are, so thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Jane. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel very privileged.
0: <laughs> You're in good company and others are in company with you. So you have an incredible practice. For those who are listening, we have a lot of listeners who sort of starting a lot of women who have consulting practices, sometimes starting out and growing. You've had your practice for some time. You're well seasoned at this. Tell us about your practice. How did you get into it? How did you start and what are you doing? Who do you work with now?
1: Yeah. So I set up what I thought I was setting up a business 15 years ago and got lots of business advice, <laughs> which didn't land very well. Oh, but, really? What type of yeah. advice did you get? You know, about developing a business that you can sell at the end and you can franchise out and all okay. that. Kind of <laughs> so that's Yeah, that's not what I thought I should have done. So the backstory is I did study psychology when I went at, to university. Now, this is 30 years ago so back then it was still very much disorder dysfunction looking at what's wrong I did some placements and I just thought oh this is not for me Mm -hmm. as much as I loved it so then I went into still fascinated by the brain so I went into disability so I worked in disability in state government for about 12 years then I was introduced to something called coaching Mm -hmm. which was quite new in Australia and Became qualified in a coach methodology called Neurosemantics, which has come out of America, created by Dr. Michael Hall and Australian woman, Michelle DeVell. So that was my first insight into, oh, my gosh, this is such a powerful tool. So I actually left my regular employment and set up my own business at the time. And I started working with children who were being bullied. Right. Which wasn't a deliberate thing. I started just working with women, coaching their stuck. And then four of them at once said, This is amazing. Can you help my child because they're being bullied at school? Yeah. And I was like, Okay. So I started working with children as young as seven and ended up, you know, making what I thought was going to be a business out of that. So I'd work with them one on one, you know, I'm charging $60 an hour <laughs> back
0: then. Halfway to making be- a living.
1: Yeah, it was. And then I had my own children as well. So that led to working with the parents, working with the teachers, going into schools, which led to writing the book, Unbulliable. How I think, even though it wasn't commercially smart, it set me up because I had to explain pretty complex things about how to be resilient and not affected by other people to children, seven, eight, nine years of age. Wow. So it forced me to simplify these big concepts down into easily digestible bits of information and the other thing it did is it because I ended up going into schools and I my very first school I worked in was a very interesting school it was very low socio-economic and they gave me basically the bullies or the oh, wow. children engaging in bullying behavior to work with so that was thrown straight into the fire i had to really think on my feet but how that set me up was i'm not afraid to coach anyone you know I've, I've coached teenagers who have put other kids in hospital and it's taught me to be non-judgmental to truly listen to understand what's going on for them that that would make sense right. so the, the neurosemantics which is all about beliefs and thinking styles in a lot of belief change work combined with, had to really simplify everything down and then give me really challenging people to try and work with one-on-one and in groups. <laughs> Imagine a group of interesting teenagers oh, who don't want to be there. Amazing. <laughs> so I think that really set me up to have, I think, the courage to now do what I'm doing. Yeah.
0: Amazing. What an incredible journey. So coming out of all that study working with children and I guess some days you might feel like you were still working with some children <laughs> in the corporate world so you've come out of that that's a tough kind of way as we said to earn a living not big revenue at all working hard for every dollar that's been an incredible training ground for you then you started to make this move into corporate world how did that work yeah
1: so I'd work with the children and I would always work with the parents okay. And the parents would say to me, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. You've been able to help my child be far more resilient, less affected by other people. We need you at our work. I'd say no, oh, no. I like working with kids. They're fun. <laughs> anyway, eventually I did transition into some. So it was through the parents of the kids that I'd coach.
0: Yeah. Okay,
1: Unbulliable was the name of the program. So then I started running Unbulliable into businesses, mm-hmm. corporate, and that wasn't commercially smart. Mm. I, you don't want to say we've got a bullying problem. I'm, exactly. That's exactly what they'd say. They'd right. say, I've got this program, Unbulliable, and they'd say, can you just not use the B word? And I even heard of one team when they heard that I was coming in to work with them, they said no because we don't want people to think we've got a bullying problem. Yes. So that's when Unbulliable grew up and turned into Unshakable. Right so unshakable it's exactly the same model as unbelievable except it's not one bully it's that you might be affected by five different customers today or you might receive some feedback that has really rattled you or you've got an interesting person in your team yes they're not bullying you but you're being affected by them so that's how unshakable at work was created so that led to working with lots of leaders how they can be more empowered, more confident. I still do now a lot of one-on-one coaching that led to leadership programs, workshops. And then somehow, oh, can you coach me? Because I've got this really challenging person in my team. So I'd coach the leader and then the leader started saying, can you work with the team? And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So then I developed a sort of a niche into high conflict teams and again I think it was that working with the very challenging teenage bullies I can feel really comfortable going into a very high conflict team so I worked I still do work with teams of lawyers who are so in conflict that they wouldn't even sit in the room with each other so that unshakable the resilience the how you can feel more empowered Led into, okay, how can the whole team now sort itself out? That's been very interesting in that it's led to more work sort of comes off. So I'll coach the leader, they'll say, Can you work with the team? Oh, can you do a leadership program? Or can you coach these particular people in the team? And so yeah, that's it's sort of all meshed together. So in the end, now I end up, I do coaching. Yeah, the, the team stuff, the workshops, I'm doing a few at the moment, just reconnecting your team type yes. workshops. Yeah. But it all comes down to, I think, communication. What I think sits behind all of the work I've done over the last 15 years is do people feel comfortable communicating with each other? And when I reflected on all the high conflict teams I've worked with, a lot of it has come from people's inability to give and receive feedback in a way that's not going to cause a conflict.
0: Right. So feedback is really the yeah. core of
1: the problem. Yeah. The armor that people put up, if you about Brene Brown's work around your armors of self-protection, mm. the emotions that come up, the lack of trust, mm. just basic communication. The thing I love about the topic of feedback is it's so juicy. There's Mm. so much to it, Mm. yet most people, well, especially I've been doing my own research lately, they're really fearful of getting it wrong.
0: That's actually a really interesting point because you've been sharing your thoughts about the research. You've surveyed quite a few people. What have been the insights that you've gained from that?
1: So um, it's my own research. So Which is great. Yeah. You
0: haven't had to go and engage a university. You haven't done all that. You've done this yourself.
1: Yes, to a point. So I do have a very clever daughter who's doing her PhD in psychology. Right. So we set up the survey in Qual- Qualtics, I think Qualtrics? it's called. Qualtrics, that's right. She's now pulling out the data. I think it's SPSS, a program like that. And so she's providing me with the reports Mm-hmm. So, what's been interesting are things. So, we've looked at the different age groups, right? You know, that you know, millennials and Gen Z. We've looked at the difference between male and female, interesting insights in there. The other thing I've done is I've looked at people who work in rural councils because they're a lot of my clients mm-hmm. uh, versus metro councils. So, we're pulling out all these differences. But what's come across, if I was to summarise, is most people believe they're not receiving enough feedback. They're also most of the people believing they're not offering enough feedback.
0: Right.
1: And it's really interesting if you think of three different types of feedback. So the first one is acknowledgement. This is what you're doing well. The middle one is evaluation. This is where you stand. So this is some kind of rating, some kind of measure. Okay. And then Third one is guidance. This is how you can do better. The one thing that's becoming very, very clear through the more and more conversations and the research is that middle one, the evaluation feedback, that's the one where the majority of people do not feel confident in offering. Yet that's the one that's in the annual performance reviews every year. So, my mission at the moment is to figure out what's going on. And I'm talking like only 3% of people in one of those age groups, I forget which one it was, said they felt confident in offering that type of feedback. 3%. Amazing. You're stepping into the role of, I call it qualified assessor. So you're using some sort of rating. And if it is an annual performance review, you've got to document that. And you've got to sit face-to-face and say, I'm rating you as this And you've got to justify why. And there might be a bit of fear around what if the other person doesn't agree.
0: Yes.
1: You've got to send it off to HR. You know, it's in writing there. So I think there's a real opportunity there to help people, leaders, feel more confident in that type of feedback. The thing that comes across very clearly is if I'm not very good at offering this feedback, the damage is high risk the relationship's damaged, the trust is damaged, it's going to be awkward, that person's going to stop talking to me, they're going to leave, they're going to put in a complaint or they're going to say I'm bullying them.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. This is amazing, Sue. So because there's so much that comes back to it, which is innovation, innovation being able to improve things, organizations, losing good people. And you've identified when it comes to growing and identifying what you're going to do to start a practice, but to be able to grow it is you've identified a specific thing that is actually in your customer's shopping list and is a major pain point for them is this issue around being able to, you've identified it's the one that they find the most challenging. So I think a few things that are standing out to me so far is If we look at, we go right back to when you started your practice and with kids and you have started your practice in that way, that was a specific problem they understood how to buy. So it's all about relevance. You've been able to evolve your practice over into from unbullyable, moving into what was relevant for corporate, which was unshakable. So it was more palatable for them. And then now you've identified one really, you've narrowed right in on one specific thing that is a crux Of a challenge that your clients have. So, I think what's even interesting and relevance again. So, you've gone right into narrowing right into the relevance of where people are needing your help. Interesting that you've always called your practice Sue Anderson. Yes. Right. So, that has allowed you the freedom to evolve your programs, Mm. imagining. Because you've gone, well, that's okay. I just got to create a new program. I don't have to build a new brand. I don't have to start a new business. Because if you started a program called Unbelievable and your business was called Unbelievable, geez, that would have been tough mm. to make that move. So now that you've evolved this, you've narrowed, you're digging right into the specific little, and this is a challenge for a lot of people. Sometimes they're going, I've got to solve this whole big thing and we have to sort of start there. But I love what you've done here. You've identified After all this experience, which gives you even more credibility to deliver this really narrow little, Peter Cook would call it the aperture, is you're coming right in on this little angle and really amplifying it and blowing it up to say, well, in the context of all this problem, this is your real problem, but Mm. it's also what they understand. But what you're doing along with your research is you're you're even going deep into this work now of going, okay, so you've come out of that other work you've got a book to write you've done the you've built out a questionnaire and you're identifying not you're doing your own research which is fabulous so many people go oh there's not enough research out there I'm trying to fill out my content but not being afraid to go in and do that so what's happened as a result mm-hmm. of this evolution of your messaging and your practice now
1: so what's happened now is i've got my own ip in that i've got the feedback fitness framework yes So that's been really useful because now I can go into my ideal client. So my ideal client, a rural local council, state government, I do a lot of work in and also other businesses, but that's my ideal client. So what's happening at the moment is I'm starting to value my product because in the past, not my product, my expertise, Mm. in the past I always thought of myself as, oh, you know, she's just Sue Anderson from Ballarat. Right. Okay. And I I would discount. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I think it came from working in the schools where they'd say, so are you a psychologist? And I'd say, well, no, you know, I did study psychology. I was like, they didn't want to know me. And so I think I was like, okay. So what's happening, I think, for me now is I'm starting to go, well, hang on a minute. I've been doing this for nearly 16 years. I've got a unique perspective, a unique set of experiences. I've got my IP. I've got some research. I've got so many thousands of hours of confidential conversations I've had through my coaching of leaders. So it's me starting to value myself, which has enabled me to meet with someone, a potential client, write the proposal start to put my prices up because what I was doing was not charging enough and what really helped me there was the problem that I'm solving it's a very expensive problem yeah (laughs) HR person reached out to me yesterday about a team there's already been an investigation they don't want the leader to leave like this is a really expensive problem Mm. and it's really good to be able to say yep let me work with the leader let me work individually with each of the team members, then I'll bring them together. So I think it's the confidence in myself that I can solve problems. Yeah. 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 Starting to believe in myself rather than right. comparing myself to Dr. So and so, who's written 27 books and is presenting at all these international conferences, which is what I was doing. Right. So, hang on, I can, I do have this unique skill set and I can get results. Right. I think that's really helped me, yeah, value myself. And even little things like writing the weekly newsletter. Mm -hmm. I used to to just not write it. (laughs) Um, And now I'm like, I've got things to say. Is it fantastic every week? No. But I feel like I'm keeping my finger more on the pulse. Mm -hmm. For example, there's a lot of talk at the moment around psychological safety. Well, I can link feedback to psychological safety, whatever's going on. So the weekly newsletters, I'm doing a weekly mini masterclass as well. It's just half an hour every week, but that's about getting in front of more new people. And I even picked up the phone recently (laughs) and started ringing people, which I've been avoiding. Right. So the other thing that's probably changed is I'm starting to get known for knowing something around feedback. So especially, you know, local councils, they talk to each other. They, they're starting to recommend me and they move. So I've had one lady, she's now up to her third council. She's got me in at every council it's she's so got to.
0: Yeah, you come as a
1: package yeah. with them. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is I find people negotiating their new position, I've had a few in state government negotiate a coaching program with Sue Anderson as part of the package, if you like. So that's, yeah, that's felt really good. So I think what's changed is I've got more organised, starting to value myself, getting more feedback. Even things like looking at my calendar and seeing, I do have workshops booked in. I think it's all just just building my confidence.
0: And so what does this mean in terms of your... Growth, so has it stabilized? Is it sort of going backwards, or what are you finding as a result? Because you put systems in as well. What are you finding? What's the type of growth you're experiencing now compared to, say, two years ago?
1: Oh, amazingly, I'd say at least double two years ago. Well, close to double. Yeah, so that's sales. Yeah, slowly putting my prices up. I'm still working on that. I'm not gonna lie, that's still an area for improvement. So putting the systems in place. So I've got a business manager, seven hours a week. We've worked together for about, I think, five years. Okay. But recently I also put in a VA for 20 hours a week, right. which has really, what's happened is the systems, you know, we've set up Asana, the three of us working well together. It's just freed up my brain to be creative. Right. It's just been incredible. So I think you called me in a nice way, Jane, a working to-do
0: list <laughs> <laughs> in one of our mentoring sessions. <laughs> I it was was like, in the kindest way. <laughs> you did. And
1: I thought, yes, my brain was so full of what I need to do. I was having trouble finding the space to create and setting up the systems, getting it out of my head and into things like Asana. I'm sleeping better because I used oh, to lie in bed going, "Oh, did I reply to them? Did I send the proposal? I can't remember. I better check." Whereas now I just jump on Asana and it's all there. Yeah. So what's happened is my creative brain has just woken up, and I feel like every day I listen to a lot of audio books and I walk along and I hear something and I can just—it's almost like I'm filtering everything I'm hearing through feedback and going, "That relates to feedback," and then I send a little message to myself on my phone to, you know, write a newsletter about this topic. Yeah. So the creative juices are definitely flowing.
0: And that's exciting. That's all your genius, isn't it? And that's why we've gone down this path really to have that sense of fun and fulfillment and that joy in your work. Cause we just need more of that because we get so bogged down in those tasks. We need you to play out the front, play in your genius, take Mm. that weight off you. Like you said, I think that takes where you've said around valuing yourself enough, seeing that your clients value being able to get that price point to move. But also it's not just the value in the pricing, it's the value of your time and starting to see the value of your expertise. So that's an incredible shift, Sue. If you had your time again, in your practice you're thinking about Mm -hmm. how far you've come so it's meant I've put here a shift in charging enough and all still works in progress in that sometimes you talked about valuing yourself which is what I'm hearing about now developing the creativity and the thought leadership like you said Mm -hmm. about not being known for Mm -hmm. knowing something which is not just knowing something you're now known for that people are knowing that you work in the feedback space if you had your time again on flection now that you're going through this incredible growth phase now. If you had your time again, is there anything you'd change or do differently?
1: Oh lots. <laughs> lots. <laughs> so probably the biggest game changer has been working with you, Jane. And I'm not saying this just to promote you or suck up to you or anything like that. Very I fine. wish I had have started with Jane Anderson sooner. And I have had some fabulous mentors along the way, and you learn different things from different people. So whether I was more ready now. So in regards to what I would do differently, I think for the first six months of working with you, Jane, I just didn't do what you told me to do. (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: Thanks for that this week. I'll go do this
1: <laughs> yeah so whether I was mismatching um, myself or whether my head was just so full of to do to do to do yes. oh my god like, oh, I haven't done that unlikely get a bit paralyzed yes. so doing what Jane Anderson tells you to do would be something I would have done sooner the other big thing for me is I haven't been good at keeping relationships going I've got people in my database that I might have sold a workshop to eight years ago. I never kept in contact with them. So now it's that, do I reach out and say, hey, it's been so long since we talked. So my relationship maintaining, I think I could have done that a lot better. All those parents whose children I coached 15 years ago, I don't even have their details. And that they will all be working somewhere. But I didn't see the value in maintaining a good client list, keeping records of conversations. So I think if I had stayed in contact more, cared more, kept more notes around where they're up to and what are their challenges, I started to do that in the last year or so, but I regret that. Right. So that would be one big thing, maintain your relationships. What else? I think, yeah, as we said before, value and back myself. More. Yeah. The other probably big thing is, I think I just was very relaxed about my practice, partly because my husband's got a, a business and we can pay the mortgage. So I had the luxury of, I'll leave my you know work secure role in state government, set up my own business. There was really no pressure financially for me to make it work. And now that my husband's talking about retiring, I'm like, oh, I'm excited. I'm like, I can work more hours because I was still doing, you know, the school drop off and the school pick up and the orthodontist and the netball. Anyway, so I think as he can take on more things with the kids, I think that's really freeing up my mind. But it's been a mind shift from my practice is a bit of a hobby to hang on. I've now got two people have two people who work with me I want to really treat it more as a practice and other people would call it a business but just to take it a bit more seriously I used to write every January in my calendar write book (laughs) I wouldn't write my book I would just have January off so (laughs) that was a big change for me this year I actually started working I think in the first week of January and was amazed at the meetings I got I ran busking outs and I was amazed at people. I just assumed everyone had January off (laughs) because I was. So I made some really good sales and ran some, um, I think, three busking outs in January, which I'd never done before. So building that mailing list. So that was probably something I've done differently this year. But I enjoyed it. Maybe because the kids are a bit older, I could just say, off you go, leave me alone. But I think because I'm really passionate about the feedback topic. It was a pleasure to work in January. So that's a real shift.
0: Isn't that great? Like you can see the smile on your face and just the joy this work brings you. And it's you know being an evolution to get to January and a big investment that you've been able to go, okay, well, I'm actually going to invest in this time. And I love that is that we often have that assumption that, oh, no one's around in January. No one's buying. That's an assumption every year that we hit. And December, sometimes people bring that one out as well. But January, you had a really great month. Mm -hmm. And you also set it up really well, because based on the work you've done is that you had everybody ready for closing in January. They're often rethinking their budgets. We're also going through a lot of change still at the moment. So just people, I was listening to the CEO of Sri Lankan Airlines the other day, and he has come in to help the airline privatise because it was a government airline. And he said, you know, we used to do quarterly planning. And he said, now we do weekly planning because everything's changing so fast. So I think a lot of those old assumptions that we have about how people buy the clients, that people are hitting different challenges quicker. And it's being in right place, right time, all the right messaging. You've built up all the Connection, the list. So you go to top of the class, I think, for consistency with your. Sue does this amazing work with her weekly webcast that she does and invites people to it. Because a lot of people would say, I live in a real rural area. I can't do a business like yours, but you're a real testament to that. It is possible. You can charge what you're worth and people will still continue to buy. And The other thing, what was it, is realizing that you're running a practice or a business as opposed to a hobby. Getting serious about, is this what you really want? And now you're coming into this really exciting phase. you got a new team on, hubby close to retiring. Chris has been such a great support of yours and cheerleader of yours. So for those who might be thinking about starting a practice, Sue, or if they're in this growth phase, what advice would you have for them?
1: Such a big question. (laughs) I would say this is my all or nothing thinking. (laughs) I would say if you're going to do it, do it all in and take the time to set up the systems right from the start. That would be my number one. And I understand some people have to, they're still working, so they want to just go into their practice for two days a week until they build up enough. I guess it's that make the decision that this is what you want to do right so you're committed to it yeah. and you take it seriously i know that's probably not explaining it very well but treat it as a really important thing it's such an investment in you mm. so even if you are only 2 days a week treat those 2 days a week as you know highly valuable as an investment in setting up yourself for the future because I never would have dreamed that I could have a practice like this when I was back working in state government. It's amazing. And it's that freedom to go, you know what, in a fortnight, it is my kids' athletics sports day. We're an athletics family. I can choose to block that out of my calendar if I want to. If a very important client said, we can only do the workshop on that day and we're going to pay you whatever, then I still have the choice. So that's what I'd say. Yeah, Take it seriously. Value it for what it can bring you. Like It can be amazing. Amazing. Get the right people around you. So as I said earlier, I've had some great people. Whether the timing's right now, I've got so much from you, Jane. I just find you're so generous. And for me, it's a bit of a safety net. I can always just text you or ring you. And I know that you'll have an answer for me or you'll ask me a question. And having my amazing two people who work for me, getting that right has also just been a game changer. So, yeah, if I was to summarise what I just
0: said,
1: (laughs) set it up properly right from the start, even though you might be tempted to jump ahead and, you know, write your book or do a podcast. (laughs) Yep. A few times I would want to jump ahead and do exciting, shiny new things. Absolutely. And I'd tell you, Jane, this is what I want to do. <laughs> Jane would be, hang on, let's go back to basics. Have you written your, have you got all the things set up? <laughs> and I'd be like, no. I don't <laughs> want to do this. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. We'll just <laughs> we do the newsletter first. <laughs> yeah, and do what you love. I do love the high conflict team stuff. And I still do a bit of that now. I did love it, but it's morphed into other stuff. And I think if you're doing what you love, like I said, I was happy to work in January. I was excited to sit there and, you know, write some, some stuff. So do what you love, but if you're going to do it, do it properly right from the start. It'll save you a lot of heartache. I'm still at the moment having to go back and set up some things that I wish I had set up earlier.
0: Yeah. And I love what you just said about what I'm hearing is sustainability, like even in the messaging, or like you said, you loved working with the high conflict teams. But what I love about that is that you start somewhere, you start with something that they're understanding how to buy. But what you've been uncovering, I think is around what creates a sustainable practice for you, which is the evolution of the messaging and finding what is the specific problem that they've got, they understand how to buy it you have been able to not only just help them on putting fires out, but how to build an aspirational capability in the organisation, not just for an individual team member, not just for a leader, but actually to start to transform an organisation. Mm. And that is powerful. That's where you start to really go that actually this is an organisation, is how we operate. And that's when from their perspective, even though they might not be private enterprise even as government we still want to grow we still got to achieve our potential we've still got to achieve our strategic plan we're not going to get there if we haven't got this feedback loop going so thank you so much for sharing today so you are a wealth of knowledge and for those who are aware of your journey and the work that you're doing it's really inspirational and we're really excited for you to see you in the next phase of your journey so um thanks so much for joining us today where if people want to go oh my god I want to be Sue when I grow up I love her. If they're thinking about, if they want to learn a little bit more about you, where would you like them to go?
1: Yeah, they can, of course, find me on LinkedIn. That would be mm-hmm. fine. They can also, I've got a bunch of resources available. So if they can go to Sue hyphen or dash, some people say, Sue hyphen Anderson.com.au backslash resources, or of course, just go to my website as well. Yeah, be happy to hear from anyone if especially if you've had some really interesting feedback <laughs> offering or receiving experiences. I'm writing the next book. I think it's going to be called Feedback Fitness. So I'm always interested to hear from people if they've got juicy feedback stories.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Sue. We're really excited. We look forward to seeing the book come out. For those who are listening to the podcast, you'll see in the show notes and the links, we'll send you off to Sue Hyphen Anderson dot com.au backslash resources. She's got some really great things there that you might find even useful, even in working with your own teams and working, even if you have your own consulting practice, this isn't necessarily just for organizations, but to be able to get the most out of your own practice as well. So thanks again, Sue, and make sure you jump on and download those resources. and Follow Sue everywhere. She's doing an amazing job. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks Jane. Jane.